everyone. Welcome to the Brown Surgery Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Lynch. For those of you that do not know me, I'm a PhD educator and nurse practitioner by training. The focus of this podcast is to span both clinical and educational fundamentals and turn everyday topics into interesting discussions that can benefit students, residents, and faculty alike. Today we are continuing our exploration into the transition from intraoperative learner to intraoperative teacher. Last week, we spoke to some of our senior general surgical faculty here at Brown, Drs. Christine Emick and David Cloutier, on the same topic. This week, we thought it would be nice to explore the same concept through the experiences of some of our junior surgical faculty here at Brown. Today, I welcome Drs. Andrew Lurz and Dr. Marco Andrea Georgi. Dr. Lurz was a resident with us before going off to complete his minimally invasive and bariatric surgery fellowship at Duke University Medical Center. Dr. Georgie also trained with us at Brown before going off to complete his minimally invasive and bariatric surgery fellowship at UC Davis Medical Center. I welcome them both to the podcast today to continue this discussion. So I'd like to welcome both uh, Drs. Uh, Marco Georgie and Andrew Lurz to the podcast today. There's been a lot of talk both locally and nationally on the way we teach residents how to operate and not only taking them through a case initially, but also putting them in a position to be successful uh, when they take a junior resident through a case, especially teaching cases. And so those are really two of the topics that I, I'd want to address with both of you today. And so before we even dive into that, my first question to both of you, especially a, a, as junior faculty, is did you encounter any difficulties yourself uh, transitioning from intraoperative learner as a resident and fellow uh, to intraoperative teacher and being on the other side of the table? I can tackle that first. Um... I would say absolutely yes, and I'd say I would ex- expect that most surgeons would would answer that uh, way. You know, you you spend five to seven years training to to master technical excellence in the operating room to to learn how to start from you know just figuring out the steps of a procedure to really being able to run an operating room and direct the course of it, of a case, uh, and then you leave residency and. Uh, you do a fellowship or more advanced training and do more of the same. And then you become an attending and all of a sudden now you're uh, expected to release the reins, uh, uh, get over to a resident, um, let them actually operate uh, and, and teach them how to do so in a safe and effective manner. Uh, I think that's a, an extraordinarily cha- uh, challenging transition. I agree. I think that the focus shifts because uh, you're just, as Andrew said, you're trying to be perfect, right? In residency, you're trying to graduate and say, oh, I got this, I know how to do this. And you don't realize how much the attending sets things up for you so that things look maybe easier. The biggest challenge, and it's actually, it was a fun challenge, was to instead of setting up your assistant so that you can do the case safely, is setting up yourself and setting up the primary operator was, was the resident so that they can do the case easily or they think they can do the case easily. That's the biggest thing. Oftentimes you set them up so that they think that they can do it because everything is perfect, but it's actually not like that. It's the attending that makes the case easier for you. For me, it was a. I think I learned that in fellowship. I don't think that out of residency, I would have been able to do what I'm doing now. Um, so I'm very grateful for the training that I got. And I think that as a transition, it makes you grow. It makes your sphincter tighten a lot, uh, but it's why we're doing academic surgery. And I don't think that I would want it any other way. Um, so it, it's fun to see them progressing. And, you know, they come to your case t- once, they come to your case twice, 
after the fourth or fifth time that they come to the same case, you can see a difference and that makes you feel better. It makes you like, oh, actually, you know, it's worth it. So, yeah, I think that's important what you just said in terms of getting comfortable with the resident. Um, what's been your experience so far in, in operating with the residents and how do you make a determination of what they can and can't do during a case? Is it Do you make a basic assumption based on their PGY uh, level or do you just try to take it individually? So I think for every set of operation, in my mind, I have something that I think um, a resident should be able to do based on level. As soon as we do the operation, though, it's very easy to see who's at that level, who's a little bit better, who's a little bit below maybe, um, and what their means are. So even though I have expectations based on you know, the assumption what their level are, if I never operate with them, I adjust that um, intraoperatively. Yeah, I'd, I'd say from my experience, um, you know, operating with the residents, you know, as Marco said earlier, is, is a pleasure. It's really it's incredibly rewarding to see progress. Um, I think, you know, there's no, um, the short answer to your question is, is it depends on the case and depends on the resident. So, you know, if I'm doing uh, a gastric bypass and a PGY2 is in my room, to expect them to be able to complete both a JJ and a GJ anastomosis is completely unreasonable. If I'm doing a semi-elective gallbladder for biliary colic, that same resident should be able to get through the case from start to finish on the surgeon's side of the table. Now that doesn't always happen. And sometimes, you know, either they miss, they're in the wrong plane and now there's bleeding. And, and then, you know, then it's, we got to swap sides and I get things back under control. And then we release the reins, you know, once things are back in a safe, uh, you know, in a safe situation. Yeah. I think it's important. I mean, you're basically talking about balancing resident training versus like case length or patient outcomes. And I guess, does that, how does that process look different? I don't know. You guys have been doing this now for a couple of years. Like, how does that process look different today than it did 12 months ago or 18 months ago for both of you? So I was told by both my fellowship director uh, and uh, by one of the, my mentors here at Brown, for the first six months, don't let a, don't let a resident touch your patient. Uh, and, and they, you know, it said kind of tongue, tongue in cheek, um, but, you know, you, the really, as an attending, a new attending in a new, in a new system, your primary goal is to build a patient population, uh, a referral base, and have a reputation as a safe and effective surgeon. And if you are, I think, overly aggressive with handing over the reins um, early on, that can bite you. But you know, that's in direct conflict with you know, our stated goals, which is to be edu you know, educators in surgery and uh, you know, letting the residents have autonomy in the operating room. Uh, so it's, it's a kind of a difficult position to be in. So I would say I was, at least in the beginning, overly conservative uh, for that reason. Um, and then over the last uh, 12 months or so, it's kind of been uh, loosening uh, my, my grip. Uh, but I'd say for the first few months, it was, it was a rare event to have a resident walk through the entire case on the surgeon's side of the table. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Andrew. So I came from a fellowship that from day one on a gastric bypass, I was standing on the operating side from skin to skin, and the attending was basically moving my hands from the opposite side backwards, basically, right? So he was operating from the other side of the table with his left hand and moving my right. And, you know, it, he didn't care 
if it took me four hours to do a bypass or two hours, right? As long as it was done right. And I think that really made it into me. Uh, but I kind of went through the same process that, you know, Andrew, Dr. Lers went. First few cases, you know, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to struggle. I'm not going to be able to set myself up. So I, I took over a little bit more. But as Dr. Lers, I felt like the, as the months passed by, I felt more comfortable and comfortable to setting the operation up so that I, I can actually feel comfortable in seeing a resident struggle for a while before I say, okay, I clearly I'm not able to communicate what I would like you to do in an effective manner. So let me show you. And then maybe you know, if, it's a, if it's a, the case is appropriate, I can undo it and you can do it again. Um, if it's a safe environment, you know, there's no problem. Um, but I, I kind of passed through the same thing. But now if I think about it, I, I, I actually I'm okay with seeing them struggle, you know, for a little bit, as long as everything is safe and I still have control. I think the, the point that Marco just briefly touched on is probably the biggest learning curve um, uh, of transitioning from resident slash fellow to attending, and it's the communication. I, I you know, I'm now at the VA, as y'all know, and uh, when we have fourth years taking residents through cases, that's what we talk about with the fourth year. Is it's not, hey, do the move. It's you know, you need to use anatomic language and direct you know, and very specific language. Uh, to direct someone who's a novice at whatever procedure you're doing to get them to do what you want to do. And that's even more important in laparoscopy, you know, say, you know, you can't just say a little higher, a little lower, you know, you need to really be clear in your language if you want someone who doesn't know exactly what you're expecting them to do and get them to do it. Um, so that, that is a big learning curve of how to do that well. I think you just touched on an important point that it's, it's tough to tease out, but how do you promote autonomy in a senior resident during a teaching case where you're watching them take a junior uh, resident through a case and you're sort of standing back and watching them and trying to promote their autonomy while at the same time making sure that they're not gonna get themselves into some trouble that they can't get out of. Uh, so I, I the, one of the reasons I really like being, or one of the things I really like about the VA is I can do this well there. A lot of the cases are not as complex as the cases we're doing here at the Miriam. Uh, you know, it's uh, opening glenal hernia. That's a great case for a fourth year resident who's done probably, you know, 50 of them to take an intern through or a second year through. Um, and so it's this graduated experience. Um, and then it's sitting back and, and you know, allowing the operation, uh, which again can happen at the VA, to, uh, to take two hours, right? And, and that, that's okay as long as it's safe. Uh, you know, there's oversight. Uh, I check in. Hey guys, how's it going? Is that you got the vas? Oh, there's the vas. Okay, great. Keep going. Um, and then letting them struggle with their their verbiage and their words, and then debriefing afterwards, and and saying, hey, here's the things I heard you saying that wasn't communicating what you expected it was communicating. Oh no, I just took a resident through a case like that. So chief resident, we had an intern doing a case on their own, and you know. It, it takes longer, right? And that's fine because a case that could be done in 45 minutes takes an hour and a half, but it's worth it. So what I try to do when the chief resident asked me if they can take a junior resident through, you know, through the case, I asked them, okay, so number one, decide, are you going to do the case and the junior is going to assist you or you're going to assist and the junior is going to do it, number one. 
Number two, um, after they decide and they, you know, talk about poor placement and all of that, I just literally give them the reins and I see how the chief resident sets the operation up for the junior. Based on that, you can easily see in the first few minutes, like if things are going to be smooth or if things are on the rough path, regardless of the case that you have. Let's talk about like an easy case. So only in case I see like the setup not being good enough, then I give pointers to the point, you know, through just verbally, right? Okay, you know, left hand or, you know, push this a little bit better. If I can't communicate that well, then I would even stop and uh, say, let me show you how you how I want you to set it up. So I, sh- I show them and then I take it back and I go back and see if they can do it. If that doesn't work, then I have to step in. But it's rare that it gets to that point after I um, I show them how to set it up. That would be like the, the step up approach, right, for the teaching stuff. I like how you mentioned this, like this, graduated approach and sort of setting objectives up front. Is, is this a process you have every case, um, uh, talking to residents and setting objectives of how much of the case you're going to let them do uh, up front? Or is that a determination you make, uh, you know, once you've already started? No, it's something that I try depending on what I have in front, right? If I operate it 20 times with the resident, I don't have to go over it again because you're fine. You know, let's just do the same thing. Somebody knew, then I think it's important to have it. And then you have to, it's like a, um, it's not like a, a fixed mortgage, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's the rate changes depending on how things go. Um, but I think especially if you have somebody new or an intern that has little clue on, you know, because they don't have experience, it's nice to tell them, for example, for a robotic ingrown hernia, okay, so you're going to start, right? And you're going to start the flap and then you're going to close it. Next time, you're going to start the flap to the lateral dissection and then you're going to close. Next time again, you're going to do a little bit more until you get to the whole operation. I think that's important uh, to at least have them, you know, in your mind and to talk to them about it. And then if they do great, they just keep going. If they don't do as well, then you help them and you take it away and you give it back. One of the things that I, I've started doing at the beginning of the case is to say, hey, what do you want to get out of this case? Um and it's actually amazing how that answer is predictive of how the case is going to go. So a well-prepared resident will say something like, oh, well, I'm really comfortable with the dissection of getting the critical view of safety, but I've really been struggling with my left hand. And I, I'd like you to, you know, I'd like to work on that today. Whereas the patient, you know, the, the resident who says, um, well, I, you know, I just want to kind of, you know, work on being on the surgeon side of the table or it gives us some vague nebulous answer. They're not probably as prepared for the case, uh, haven't thought about the steps of the case. And, uh, you know, that case may be a bit more of a struggle. Yeah, I think exa- you, what you're getting at is this movement, uh, I think, nationally, too, to, to do these, uh, you know, preoperative, almost like the timeout, a preoperative educational timeout or briefing session where, where roles are defined and stages of the case are explicitly stated as though there's an expectation on their part as to, you know, uh, what they're exactly going to be relied upon to do during the case. Um, and that way, there's no uh, hard feelings, for lack of a better word, that when you take over at a certain part that they don't think that they failed. It was just like they hit your objectives because they did exactly what you wanted to, them to do for their level. Uh, and then you were just going to help you know, progress the case from that point. This has been a great discussion. As you moved, like I said, from an interoperative learner to an educator in the OR, what 
what would you offer suggestions to residents as they begin to move into this role? And maybe those residents who are outgoing as chiefs and going into a fellowship role, are there any things that they could do to help prepare them uh, for an independent role in, in the operating room or, or working with residents? So every surgical resident has a chief case requirement. So I would say in those chief, case, uh, chief cases, uh, think about and work on language and, and define that as a goal in the operating room, right? Because it's easy for me or Dr. Harrington during a trauma case to be sitting on the back step stool looking at Reddit or, you know, answering emails. Um, but if, if you say to me before the case starts, hey, this is going to be a chief case, I'd really like you to listen to my language and give me feedback on how I directed the resident. Well, of course, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to be listening, you know, so um, that would be my number one recommendation, because that was quite frankly where I struggled the most. I think uh, the advice that I would give is that we are trained in a way that it's sometimes very hierarchical, right? So you're basically have somebody up top that makes the decision and you get you get independence, you get independence, but you, you find a war sometimes is not your plan. And when you get in the OR and you get a leading role, where you're going to have a lot of pressure from outside sources like, oh, be fast, or oh, anesthesia can tell you how long is it gonna be, or you know, the nurses or the OR desk or whoever. And the most important person when you operate is, you know, the patient. And to to do well to the patient, the surgeon has to be comfortable that they need to be in control. And in order to be in control, they have to be in the right mindset so that nothing else exists but the right thing to do. So it's not okay to say, oh, well, I don't have maybe this suture or this instrument, I can just make do with something else. Or, okay, it's okay, you can get the NG tube in place to decompress the stomach. It's okay, don't worry about it. Um, so the most important person that does the operation is the surgeon. And everything else doesn't matter. So don't fall into the pressure of being fast. Don't fall into the pressure of, you know, do things differently compared to what you would like them to be. Um, don't fall into the pressure if you don't feel comfortable to give the case to somebody else because if you have to, if you have to learn. Um, so just it's okay to be there and feel like you gotta be comfortable doing the case because your role when you're not be a, um, a trainee, but you're be a trainer or a surgeon is that you're going to be in charge. Um, in order to be in charge, you have to make sure that you got your field ready. You got your, you know, your, your team has to be ready and you gotta be able to lead the team. If you can't, then things start to snowball. I think those are all great points. And the educator in me is sitting here thinking about, hey, how could we replicate this outside of the operating room? Because, you know, our job as educators is to, to set residents up for success. But it sounds like it's really tough to simulate that outside of the operative environment. Like, how could we take a group of residents on a Tuesday morning and say, hey, for the next hour, we're going to teach you to be intraoperative teachers? I don't know if there's an answer to that. Because no. there's so much stress when it's your name on the board and your reputation and you, you've had conversations with gastroenterology and their, their referral base is pet dependent on the outcomes of the Like all that stuff is in the back of your mind when the patient's on the table. And then you put a, a novice resident in front of you and you're, you know, you're trying to teach them on top of all of this background 
stress. It's really, it's something I think you kind of have to experience, which is a, not a satisfying answer, but I think you can simulate it. I mean, I think, I think, uh, you know, we do that at the VA, I think pretty well, actually, you know, the fourth year residencies, the patient in clinic sees them pre-op and post-op and then operates and it can be a chief level case. And uh, I think you can do some of that, but it's just, it's never going to be fully realized until it's your name on the board. I think the thing that make, can make it easier is uh, your technical skill when you start to train the other residents. Um, so if you do the same case over and over and over and over until basically you can do it almost without thinking um, to the millimeter, right? So precise to the millimeter and you start doing it, then it's going to be easier for you to take somebody else through it because you feel comfortable on the technical standpoint. And that doesn't mean that, you know, teaching somebody else will be easier, but it will make you more comfortable inside because you know that you can get another resident um, out of a tough situation if you can rely on your own technical skills. And there's a lot of talk about for training also for fellowship, right? And just go straight to operating after um, residency. And I think, and, you know, I'm sure for Dr. Lars is the same. For me, getting that made me a better teacher because it made me more comfortable technically that I can get him out of trouble if I have to. And that made me a little bit more um, sure of myself to let them struggle. Awesome. Well, uh, this discussion, I think there's a lot to unpack for residents. I think they're going to enjoy uh, hearing your perspective and your advice on, you know, getting to the point of being comfortable, uh, you know, taking a junior through a case in the operating room. So I know both of your schedules are busy. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to, to speak to us today. So this was fun. We should do it again. Yeah. Pleasure. Yeah. I'd like to say thank you to everyone listening to this podcast. Please be sure to check us out in the coming weeks as we have some great episodes lined up. We will be speaking with Drs. Dahi Heffernan and Sean Monahan to explore the decision to enter the research lab during surgical training and ultimately pursue the role of a surgical scientist Continuing the research theme, we will also be speaking with former Brown faculty member Dr. Eric Benoit on using mortality as an outcomes variable when performing research. We also have our current Chief Resident Podcast project coming up in the month of April, which we are really excited about. So stay tuned for that, and we will see you in the next episode.